0: Hello everyone. Once again, welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're back with you to receive your questions on the Bible. That's what we're about here at A Reason for Hope. You can send in your Bible questions. And during this next hour that we are live with you, we will use the Word of God to find the answers to those questions. So it could be a verse or passage of scripture that you'd like expanded upon, expounded upon, or uh, maybe even something you're going through in your own life. You'd like a biblical perspective, how to honor the Lord in in all of that, uh, maybe Christianity as a whole, maybe even other worldviews and religions. Um, Any honest question that you have, um, you're welcome to send that on in, as long as you know that we're gonna use the Bible to find the answers. Again, that's what we are here at A Reason for Hope. That's our, our purpose and the reason for the next uh, the next hour to give you a reason for hope in the Word. My name is Dave Robson, and I'll be your host today. And like I mentioned, I'll be on all those platforms as your questions come on in with us today. Pastor Scott Richards, he's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. This guy. That guy right there. Yeah. Hey, we're all well, kind of twinning blue, blue polos, different shades of blue, but getting pretty close. <coughs> I'm now, for the d- now, I'm
1: among the uh, colorblind community, but I don't think that's blue. No, my just favorite you and I. My favorite color is not blue. Yes, yeah, <laughs> just you and I. I'm um, for the day that we all wear the same shirt, okay, but yeah, yeah. No, just you and I. Yeah. yeah, how you doing, Scott? Doing uh, good? Doing great. Yeah. yeah. Good to yeah. see you. Thanks yeah. for being here. And yeah, up to my ankles in alligators, but doing good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could I was going to
0: say it could be worse, but I don't think it could be worse yeah. than that. Also, uh, Pastor Sean Richards with us, of course. How are you doing today? Good, hey
2: woke up this morning was putting my contacts it looked to the right and my roommate's pet exotic bird had escaped from its cage so that's how i spent my morning
0: oh my goodness did you did you
2: figure that out did you catch him huh yeah yeah he wasn't happy with the process of being manhandled but we never had a positive relationship anyway so i just gently got him back into
0: his abode and we all went on with our day wow but you didn't expect that when you woke up today but there's a lot believe. of things
2: I didn't expect. That was one of them.
0: <laughs> that was one of them, yeah. Well, thank you both again for, for being here and for your time. I know it's a blessing to, to many to give your time to these questions today. And, and we, uh, we're glad that you're joining us at, at home uh, to, uh, to provide the content. Again, your, your questions, for the most part, guide this show. And so you provide those questions. We never know where it's going to go. Uh, really here at A Reason for Hope. As I mentioned, we're live with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We're here in Tucson, Arizona, where we're broadcasting from. But of course, you can join us all around the world, and people do, which is very exciting. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So if you go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, you can check us out what we're all about. There's lots of things going on, especially if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area. You're welcome to Come check us out. We're near Princeton, uh, I-10 on the west side of the freeway if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship. Uh, but for the purposes of tonight, that Watch Live tab right there. If you go there, it will take you to our live page. Um, anytime we're live, the services is here at Calvary Christian Fellowship or Reason for Hope or any of the other events. You'll find us live on that page. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church you can go directly to there if you type that in ccftucson.online.church and you'll see the video there you can sign in with a username and send your questions in through that method when we're offline you'll see a countdown to our next show and a schedule of upcoming events so you won't have to miss uh, anything there and we're on facebook as well of course calvary christian fellowship of tucson or facebook.com slash Tucson. don't forget to like and share while you're there we'd appreciate that and that's another way you can send in your question just go to the, the chat box uh, attach to the video and um, send your question there, and I'll be I'll be receiving those there live and uh, loud and clear, Lord willing. Uh, we have an app as well for your mobile device. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson in your app store, and look for that red background with the Calvary the white uh, Calvary Chapel dove logo. That's our app there. You can watch us on your mobile device should you wish to do that. Um, we have a channel on Roku and on Apple TV. So you can add us in your channel store. You can watch us on your big screen as well. And we're on YouTube. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. A Reason for Hope on YouTube. We'd appreciate it if you would uh, uh, like and subscribe and click on that notification bell. Um, you'll be notified when we're live then. It also helps us to grow uh, the ministry. So uh, YouTube, A Reason for Hope, um, that live type right there. Anytime we've been live, it archives right there. So if you missed the show or wanna just watch one again, or Check out our services here. That's all available for you right there on the live tab on YouTube. And of course, we're live there right now as well. Uh, Pastor Scott here are introduced. He's on Twitter, Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and also a husband, dad, author, ghostwriter, host of A Reason for Hope, literally stoned in Jerusalem, and amazed by grace. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's you. Yes, you had a... If any of those a, are curious to you, you can ask questions. <laughs> and that's right. i be more than happy to had a clarify. <laughs> disturbing incident of yeah. having a rock hurled at him. But, uh, you know, just... We got hurled at
2: all of us. That's unfortunately, a, but he was uh, the Dan lucky. Swanson
0: and I were able to take cover. <laughs> God, he was the lucky one, huh? Man, but uh, yes, uh, follow him on Twitter, Scott R4H, and he posts highlights from the show and commentary on like world events and news events, things going on as it pertains to end times and Bible prophecy, but also some fun things and shenanigans and tomfoolery and all of the above. Yes. (laughs) Lemons
2: do go missing. (laughs) Lemons do go
0: missing. Yeah. Indeed. We're on Rumble as well. If you uh, look for a Reason for Hope Bible Q&A, we post our videos there in archive uh, form and some other videos there. So if you're on Rumble, we'd love for you to, to add us there. Once again, A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A, you'll find us there. And we have an email address, of course, Hope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us there anytime. We do get to those questions as well. Um, if you listen to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another radio affiliate, uh, we're glad you're joining us. If you're on your drive time, do drive safely. Uh, you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded so we're not live with you so to speak uh, but use that uh, email address questionsforhope at gmail.com and we'll try and get to that question on our next show and whatever platform you join us on again you're very welcome please send your questions in don't be shy uh, there's no dumb question as long as it's an honest question and uh, once again as long as you know that the bible is the source of the answers for us we don't want to give you our opinion we want to know what the lord might say absolutely about it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Um, Well, we'd love to pause and pray at this point, usually. Um, We want the Lord to bless and guide our time. So, Sean, would you like to pray today? Of course. That'd be great.
2: Ted, thank you that we have the chance of being in your word and your spirit and among your people. We pray that all would be blessed and able to accomplish exactly what you set them out to do today, whether that's in hearing, receiving, or relating your word. Be honored by all of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen,
0: Indeed, yeah. So any uh, updates today, Scott? Yeah, um,
1: you know, uh, I, I know this probably will get me thrown out of uh, the, the pastor's union, but i um, about to uh, commit a serious party foul oh here as far as uh, my fellow clergy are concerned. Um, I think it was uh, Mark Twain who said uh, the problem with most folks isn't the things uh, that they don't know, it's the things they do know that just ain't so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, boy, uh, today, I came face to face with something that I've shared Uh, with people for years and felt very confident in sharing uh, about Israel that uh, fits into Mark Twain's category uh, about things you know that just ain't so. Uh, It doesn't, uh, you don't have to be around the Christian block uh, very long to hear pastors say often and almost as a, uh, well, everybody knows this. As soon as uh, uh, you hear somebody say, well, everybody knows, uh, that should always be cause us to be a little bit, uh, uh, maybe skeptical, Uh, but uh, a lot of pastors and myself included have always thrown out this idea that Israel is a secular state uh, in that the vast majority of people in Israel are atheists and agnostics. This is uh, considered pretty much common knowledge. But a very uncommon survey uh, result uh, was published today on All Israel News, our good friend Joel Rosenberg's uh, website. Uh, That's AllIsrael.com if you want to check it out. Uh, And uh, Joel does a a fascinating job of describing the fact that uh, when Israel was founded uh, as a nation, even going back to the Zionist movement under Tidd or Herzl and and so on, uh, the average Jewish person who was a part of this venture was not just, say, agnostic, but pretty hardcore anti-religious. Uh, they were opposed to a belief in God, uh, especially those that were uh, flooding into Israel after, and during the 40s and the 50s. Uh, much of this had to do uh, with the uh, after effects, not just of the Holocaust, but uh, the fact that uh, many Jewish people identified with either socialism or flat-out communism. Uh, if you've heard of uh, the kibbutzes, in Israel. Uh, kibbutzes were these self-contained communities that were designed, in a sense, to be, well, uh, models of a socialist uh, enclave, a self-sustaining socialistic society. And because of that, the people who were involved with it uh, were uh, basically part of uh, what are known as the Halutzim uh it's a name for pioneers but it is also the name of a Jewish socialist movement that had left uh Eastern Europe in open rebellion against the Jewish religion uh this is described in a chapter religion in Israel the 1976 edition of the American Jewish yearbook uh very interesting quote uh, says often their rejection of religion was not based on reasoning It was self-understood in keeping with the prevailing mode of looking at the world. They simply could not understand how a young man could be religious in these times. And so uh, the kibbutz became an epicenter, if you will, of uh, sort of secular uh, anti-Bible studies, if you will, if... um,
2: which the irony abounds because you and I got to visit some kibbutzes in Israel during our time there, and uh, they're functioning as capitalist groups now and have yeah. absolutely no problem taking money from us Gentiles. So. Well, well,
1: but uh, interestingly, that wasn't the original point behind it. It was like these were going to be the opportunity, almost uh, like uh, Christian communes during the Jesus movement, to demonstrate mm-hmm. the, uh, the, rea- the reality and the, the practicality of uh, socialism. And so, uh, you know, although there was Jewish culture associated with it, the average person in a kibbutz uh, was pretty much committed either to socialism or out-and-out Marxism, as far as their worldview was concerned. But over time, uh, the next generation that came into the kibbutzes, the children that were born there, uh, began to question why uh, we're Jewish. After all, we have this spiritual heritage. Why are we never told about it? Why is it never really a part of of our lifestyle? Uh, In fact, uh, one of the authors of the yearbook uh, said, our life is empty, was the oft-repeated complaint. We live in a gray life, we live a gray life 365 days a year. And and so uh, this upcoming generation wanted to come to grips with what they considered the mystery of the existence of the Jewish people? Uh, what is the meaning and purpose of our life? Why are we hated by the Arabs? Uh, what's the point of living in a kibbutz? Why is Jewish history an almost unbroken sp- string of persecution and death? Uh, does Jewishness uh, mean existence as such, or does it imply Jewish content and meaning? If we can't have religious faith, should we at least observe some traditional customs? So uh, this rebellion against people who rebelled against Judaism, Uh, got going. And uh, the the fruit of this is absolutely fascinating. Joel quotes a uh, study, uh, a new survey that is published this week that indicates more Israeli Jews in 2023 believe in God than did their parents and their grandparents. In fact, here's where I have to offer a mea culpa. Uh, I have just said in the everybody knows category that most Jewish people are either atheists or agnostics in Israel today? This is not so. Hmm. Uh, this new survey, uh, respondents were asked, which of these statements came close to your per- most uh, your personal view? Uh, this one's fascinating. I believe in God as described in the Jewish tradition. 63.6% of people in this survey said yes. Hmm. So 63.6%, wow. almost 64%, of uh, people in Israel believe in God as described in the Jewish tradition, read huh. uh, the Bible and the Torah. Only 14.4% said, I do not believe there is any higher power or spiritual force in the universe. Hmm. So apologies extended to you. Uh, what I have shared as being common knowledge is absolutely wrong now. Right. It is not true whatsoever. Uh, Joel says this represents a sea change in Israeli Jewish thinking over the past 75 years. Indeed, the poll indicates that younger Israeli Jews are actually significantly more inclined to believe in the God of the Bible than older Israelis, and significantly fewer younger Israelis are atheists than older Israelis. Uh, Interesting, it gets even deeper than this. uh, It's not just the Jewish God that Jewish people increasingly believe in. More than half now 54.5 Fifty-four point five percent of Israelis believe that heaven and hell are real places. Only twenty six percent say they don't believe in the existence of heaven and hell. So Which
2: compared to the United States is yeah, I, I mean, well, granted, maybe. population size is different, but that's a big population percentage difference as far mm-hmm. as we're concerned.
1: Now, lest you think, well, you know, this is cherry picking, you know, this has been done by the Billy Bob School of the Bible, uh, the professors who designed the survey. One is Dr. Mordecai Invari, full professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religion at the University of North Carolina. The other was Kareli Abouman, the Dean of Graduate Studies and full professor of the Department of Political Science and International Studies at Stonehill College. Uh, And if you read the article, uh, you can get the data. On it. It includes uh, over 1,000 respondents who were interviewed online in Hebrew. It includes 200 respondents who were interviewed by phone in Hebrew. The group consisted of Israelis aged 65 and over, ultra-Orthodox Israelis, both of which are historically as responsive to online surveys, and so on. So uh, the the bottom line is yeah, you know, everything that you know about Israel or have been told about Israel, and a lot of prophecy updates, is flat out wrong. Uh, the uh, the majority of people there are not atheists or agnostics, and I think it dovetails really interestingly with a prophecy from the book of Amos, chapter nine, verses eleven through twelve, uh, that no less uh, an individual uh, than uh, Jesus. Half brother uh, 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 James quoted uh, when uh, the people, when the early church was trying to figure out, okay, can Gentiles be saved without becoming Jews? The, the passage from Amos says this: After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. So, uh, you know, I think we are seeing uh, this prophecy in Amos in the the space of being fulfilled. It also goes back uh, to uh, Jesus speaking about Uh, learning a parable from the fig tree when it begins to put forth leaves and starts it becomes tender and begins to bud you know that summer is near Uh, he also said even so uh, when you see these things know that my return is near even at the doors Uh, you know i really do think that uh, the fig tree budding coming back to life uh, the fig tree is the national symbol of israel Uh, like the united states symbol is an eagle if uh, you go to Israel, it's not the Star of David that there's their national symbol, it's the fig tree. Mm. And, uh, and so when we talk about the fig tree blossoming, a lot of people will point this to the political event of Israel coming back into the land. But I really think that very significantly, this change of heart, this sea change of openness to belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm. to believe Uh, along with that, that there really is such a thing as uh, an afterlife, a heaven and a hell and judgment and so on, uh, I I think is a really significant uh, milestone, prophetically, a real heavenly heads up to our proximity uh, to the return of Jesus Christ. So fascinating stuff indeed. Go to Uh, allisrael.com. You're going to definitely want to uh, bookmark it, subscribe to it. Uh, Joel just provides great uh, content on everything going on in Israel, we just love his books, and uh, even more, uh, this attempt to really give us a, up um, a, uh, close and personal, on-site uh, view of Israel. Joel right. lives in Jerusalem now, he was living in Netanyahu, he lives in the suburb of Israel, uh, of uh, Jerusalem now. So, he does uh, live, he lives he, there he, full time? Yeah, wow! he and his family have made, as they say, Aliyah, uh, they are full-blown Jewish citizens, and, wow. uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, fascinating to get his perspectives on. Things. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Thanks for the update. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Exciting times. Yeah. Sure is. Well, we have some questions coming in. If you sure. guys are ready to let's do it. That's uh let's see here. I have a question from Josh that came in. Uh, how do you respond to Christians that call entertainment and media satanic, um, and that you're sinning for not seeing and treating it the way that they do? This is a big, big issue amongst,
1: well, this is kind of Christians. your uh, up your uh, alleyway, your kind you. of our, our media maven around here.
2: And it was asked on our uh, YouTube channel when it comes to the area of, I guess, not just discerning what you take in and how it's impacting your walk with God, but judging that through the community in the sense that, first of all when you're being manipulated this way spoiler alert on my opinions of this kind of attitude there's unfortunately a lot of bible verses that people can pepper you with in order to guilt and manipulate you into adopting a mindset of you have to conform to my sensitivities and usually when we're talking to people who are i guess as forceful and passionate for the things of god sincere desire for purity and all that they would put this forward in a way that very few of us would object to at face value and that's oftentimes the way that most lies are coached when people hear you know oh well it's uh, it's the ministry of truth what could be wrong with truth you know oh they're they're uh, nice you know it's an abbreviation for this uh, yeah. nihilistic yeah. and indoctrination society of uh, ethics well that sounds worse when i when you spell it out but who has a problem with nice you can coach yourself in as many flowery words and even sandwich scripture assuming it is or isn't out of context and of course try to convince people of a lot of things but the reality oftentimes isn't so Now, the fact that there are people who will play fast and loose with God's Word isn't a mark against it. It's a mark against them. The standard that we need to have is a willingness to look up and ask, is that actually what you're handling it to be? And of course, people who are sensitive in certain areas can turn to legitimate passages. Uh, For example, you're going to list a few here, and we'll pick maybe two, but when they uh, say, for instance, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Romans 14, and others, they'd say, look, this sensitivity to conscience, there's a call by God for us to abstain from what is evil and cling to what is good. I, here's where the manipulation comes in, identify that as evil. Therefore, you need to cling to what I adhere to as good. Now, there's, of course, going to be things that we have in common that we'd identify as good. Whatever things are lovely, good rapport, uh, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7, right? Yeah. But if, on the other hand, and you notice I was careful. Thank you. I was careful in coaching my words. What I identify the passage that's usually referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 27 through 31, they'll say 29 through 30, but the whole conversation is giving an example of a controversy in the early church that has a broader application, and we've mentioned it before. Let me read it. This is verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 10. If any of those who do not believe, so note the audience is to a non-believer. First of all, this is in the context of at least a uh, differing worldview, not believer to believer. We'll get to there, but note this. This is in the context of potential evangelism. And you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake. So there is a benefit both individually and to the person who's offering this to you, because they bring with it an assumption, you're honoring my gods, or at least not your god, in the partaking of this meat. Now note, in the very same chapter, what does it say? An idol is nothing, (laughs) (laughs) and these things are just meat. But for conscience sake, it goes on. yeah, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. That's in reference, of course, to the Old Testament, Psalm 24, if you want to look it up. But conscience, I say, not to your own, but to that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Now note, that phrase is a question. Why? Why is my liberty judged for the sake of another man's conscience? Well, obviously, you ask a question. It's either going to be an answer in of itself, or he's going to go on to answer it himself but if i partake with thanks why am i evil spoken of for the good over which i give thanks so he answers his question with a question i'm thankful but in conscience what have i done for the sake of this non-believer what have i done in regards to our relationship and how it points to my relationship with god now this is noting a compromise If two factors are involved, you and the other person, what is the conclusion? Verse 31, therefore, in light of both of those questions and everything that's been set up for this, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Ah, now here's the broader application. Just as I also please all men, in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, for what goal, that they may be saved. Mm. Now, when we're talking to non-believers, and you know, the crude references are made, uh, um, opportunities to engage in some sort of activities that would be just outright sinful—that there would be no debate about pornography, gladiatorial arenas. If you want to go to the contemporary stuff, all that, plain at face value. But if you say and this i'll apply it to my own walk with god uh someone who's a fellow believer or not doesn't necessarily have a struggle with things that contain nudity or sexual content those sort of things but that are really stumbling to me because i have a weakness in that area i am accountable for it i for the sake of my conscience as well as a testimony to them say can we watch something else? I'm, I'm trying to quit, <laughs> to use the modern vernacular, right? I, I have a problem with this, and I, I wanna view those things in a better light. This isn't against you, this is me. It's not you, it's me. That, that's, the, that's the classic line. <laughs> well, that's going to communicate something to them in terms of evangelism, and that is what? This person believes this stuff at least enough for it to impact his behavior, its input. That's worth something in a longer conversation. But then Paul goes on to say, also for the sake of the Church of God. Why? Well, in Romans chapter 14, the same controversy is brought up, but in the context of a believer to believer. Now, what's the flow of that conversation, and is it the same crux as this, or is it maybe going from a different
1: angle regarding Romans 14? Well, Romans 14 is about uh, not uh, getting into a debate about, uh, about, uh, or getting into arguments about debatable things and that uh, everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind on these particular things with one caveat, don't do something that is going to cause your brother to stumble because if you do that, you're not walking in love.
2: Now, if I in the privacy of my own home exercise my liberty in Christ, if I'm eating this meat, it's offered to an idol, but I know that an idol is nothing. First Corinthians 10, Romans 14, on it goes. Am I stumbling them by the sheer existence of my liberty? No, that would not be supported in either of those passages or any of the others that these finicky people would try to use. But if, on the other hand, we take two steps back and go, you know, in front of them, I can tell (laughs) they're upset. I can... I know them well enough that this is going to cause them damage down the road, maybe um, having alcohol exposed to them when they have a history with that, having things that are just kind of inappropriate and me just kind of staring at the floor. Those sort of things are obviously setting stumbling blocks, the phrase is, for your brother, Romans 14, right? Right. But if on the other hand I'd say, or I'm hearing from somebody, that you can't participate in those things because I see them as wrong, all well and good to your master you stand or fall and as far as depends on me I'll try to aid you in not having more stumbling blocks than you need. But if you're going to dictate to me my Christian life, you're going to dictate to me my conscience, that's not a mark of maturity, that's manipulation, that's control and if we're going to walk in peace with one another, the goal isn't for us to all be coerced into the same sensitivities, but to be of, what does Philippians 4 say? The same mind, the mind that was in, Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, who didn't seek his own benefit, the Carmen Christi tells us, right, the hymn to Christ, but what? Humbled himself. So if this is going to work, it needs to work from both angles. And if the person who's stumbled by these things isn't willing to humble themselves and say, I'm just going to avoid that. I recognize your walk with God's different from mine, but could you be sensitive to me in my weakness? You then have the opportunity to say, I'll happily do so. But where is the humility? Where is that honest perspective of yourself and others in forcing them to conform to your sensitivities as universal doctrine, that it's my way or the highway, that it's this is Christ's standard. When in reality, the only person in this room who stumbled by it is me. That's an exaltation of yourself and a glorification of your weakness. And, You can correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bible doesn't speak highly of those who are immature in the faith. It just says that they're to be handled carefully. Mm -hmm. Not to stay there, but to be acknowledged that they're there. Is there a difference when it comes to keeping someone in an immature state or celebrating the fact? I'm immature. I can't handle anything. I see Christ as inferior to all these things. The media is so powerful that Christ can't possibly do a work of victory in my heart and life because of these things. I'm going to stay in my state of weakness, and you're going to conform to that. That's what this sounds like to us, and that needs to be made aware of to them. Now, they won't listen. That's the point of being immature, but if you have the opportunity to engage with passionate, but ultimately misguided albeit manipulative and unreasonable people there's two lines to draw and if they cross those lines then we get into 1 corinthians 5 territory which i'll get to in a moment if the first line that you draw with them is to say look when we're together i'll respect your conscience but can you respect my walk with god enough to know he can help me handle those things they would usually say no That is wrong. That is sinful. You can't enjoy those things because I can't enjoy those things. I can't see Christ in them. Therefore, there is no Christ in them. My channel would beg to differ, but the point being made is just that. So they're dictating to you your heart. They're committing what's called the fallacy of attributing motive. This is not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it, because I know that, which is blasphemous. uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 notes that man knows the heart of man. No, no, only God yeah. knows the heart. So that's the first line to draw is when they take on to themselves divine attributes like that. They know your heart when they don't. The second line to draw with them is that if they become unreasonable, meaning that there can't be, can't be, not that there could be, but let's just put this off for another time can't be any level of understanding can't be any level of compromise in the sense that i'm going to regard your relationship with god but also respect the same in kind this is what we would call as far as them like cursing and denouncing you making a public scene not seeking reconciliation these sort of things what we would call scornful or reviler and that is one of the categories of people that paul says in first corinthians 5 not even to eat with such a person not because we're to avoid sinners, but what? They're a part of the body of Christ. They know right. better, yeah. and which is why the Lord said, when setting right. out how to deal with any conflict between two brothers, what? It's the Gospel of Matthew. I forget the chapter. You can note it for me in a second. If you have a fault 18. between you and your brother, Matthew 18. In verse 15. It <laughs> says what? Yeah. I go there a the lot. Numbers, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> the numbers, I, I, yeah. The numbers
1: guy today. No, I, 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 uh, as a pastor... You go to Matthew 18 (laughs) a lot, but what is the first step?
2: Go to your brother alone. And if they hear you, you have gained a brother. If they won't hear you, then where does it go? Then find someone from the church, someone who can intermediate between you two, someone who's walked with God that can be respected, not a yes man for either one of your position, but a person that can look at the situation and say, well, here's what God's word says about it. Something we all should try to be to other people. If they still will not hear you, then what? Kick them out? No. Bring them before the church, always with one goal in mind, which is what?
1: Restoration. It's yeah. mentioned yeah.
2: in the first verse, right? Yeah. But if they won't be received, then to them, consider them what?
1: Yeah, Tax collector or a Gentile. Yeah. Which is two terms used to describe
2: people that Jews would have nothing to do with. So. When it comes to this, there are some people that can't be reasoned with. There's people who, in the name of Christ, will become the biggest trolls and more of a source of irritation and stumbling to not only non believers, but to fellow believers, and do so thinking they're doing God's service. They're out there, they will continue to be out there. Paul's epistles to Timothy note that deceivers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But if we have the opportunity to decide what side we're on the key to dealing with unreasonable people is not to be one if you have the chance to reasonably seek the reconciliation you'll answer for that before god and if they refuse reconciliation refuse to deal with this from a perspective other than their own holiness they will answer to that before god which one would you rather be so note that, first of all, that there are unreasonable people. Secondly, there is a way to deal with unreasonable people, and some of those dealings aren't always fun. But the fact that some people just need to be avoided is always going to be so. You can list plenty of ministries that call themselves Christian but just spend all their time saying that is those people are compromised and apostate and satanic. This movie's satanic and evil and corrupt and wicked. I don't even have to give examples. You've all probably heard this when it comes down to it, let them have their hissy fits. But when they start to become backbiters and going after Christians because they don't share their sensibilities, seek their restoration, but don't hold your breath. Just make sure that what you answer to for God is going to be something that you'd be more comfortable with than what they will be. Which brings us to um, any more on that before we get to the second part of his question.
1: Um, Well, uh, let's go for the second part of the question. Then I have a comment to wrap it up with. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I mean... To play devil's advocate, if I can use that term on the show, um, <gasps> oh, you did it! Play both sides of the coin. I mean, media. <laughs> you know, as you like, you were talking about uh, Sean. Media these days is very. I mean, I thought of the, you know the uh, the uh, the music, the the Oscars, the music awards, and all that happen with that, and the movies. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey, things that are very you know gray between a movie and pornography and all that kind of stuff and so i think um, it's pretty black and white at this point yeah what is i mean what is a follow-up question was what makes something satanic you know but but also how do we judge in our lives it doesn't you know necessarily satanic but things that you know we shouldn't be viewing or watching especially these days as things are so well if you're going to judge something mm -hmm. as satanic
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, you got to have sort of a way of evaluating that. Right. Satanic shouldn't have become like a byword for something I don't like. Right. Yeah. That, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> yeah. The problem. I, I, I remember yeah. Uh, Taco Bell I, is satanic. I, I remember the rise of contemporary Mustard's Christian satanic. music. Uh, <laughs> Got going. I mean, stuff like Mustard Seed Faith or the Maranatha albums or things like that. Oh my gosh, this is satanic. It's got a mambo beat to it. Before too long, uh, you know, our children are going to be seduced by all of this and it's yeah. straight from the pit of hell. Right. Now you listen, it sounds like elevator music. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just scriptures set to music, but yeah. someone didn't like it. And, and it was just so funny how some of these people who go on these crusades about it uh, were also uh, doing kind of the old time homey. Uh, old timey uh, kind of Christian music and uh, you say, yeah. oh you need to buy my albums because they're you know and <laughs> and then you kind of go well wait a minute some of the songs that you sing originated as uh, German drinking songs <laughs> and beer halls and yeah. you know I mean you, know, you, you got Beethoven in there he cursed God in his deathbed what are you gonna do with that but uh, you know when when these kind of um, things come up you go okay well what constitutes something that's satanic yeah well, I think maybe the best GPS on that is just what Jesus had to say uh, in uh, John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and all of its fullness. So when I look at something and I go, okay, if Satan's agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy, okay, uh, I look at something and I say, okay, is this in a sense stealing from me uh, time? Um, you know, I, I yeah. remember, uh, not, uh, earlier this week watching, you know, this movie, uh, uh that was on one of the, uh, streaming services and, you know, it had like some famous actors in it and all this stuff. And then the content wasn't really all that bad. But at the end of it, I went, that was a waste of about two hours Yeah. because it just wasn't a very good movie. It just didn't really go anywhere. Right. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, don't have to have in your face you know, uh, last scene from Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, imps and stuff like that running around, to see something that was a waste of time. Yeah, You know, and and so I have to ask myself, okay, was I ripped off by that? You know, could I have been investing my time better than, say, watching something like that, okay? To kill, okay, you know, there's so much uh, media and there's so many people purveying media that are, for instance, promoting this idea of, uh, of, uh, say, killing unborn people, you know, using that sort of thing. Do I want to support that sort of Mm -hmm. thing? Well, you know, when I see that sort of thing happening, you know, I start to smell the sulfur. Mm -hmm. Uh, Destroy, destroying relationships, destroying Mm -hmm. marriages, destroying, you know, even, uh, you know, families and uh, the connection between, you know, I look at these sort of things and I go, okay, what comes out of a steady diet of this stuff, you know, and who's behind it? Right. Well, you know, I think that's a great way to evaluate whether something's satanic or not. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting, and I think it dovetails with what you said, Sean. You know, there, uh, there's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 that says, uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Uh, it says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by light. Uh, you know, I think there is, and there are individuals that can take a look at some stuff that is patently satanic in its orientation. Uh, but to expose it to the light, so that people in the culture can see the difference—a great example of this—I wrote a book uh, called uh, *Myths the World Taught Me* for Thomas Nelson Publishers, and uh, one of uh, the uh, the chapters we had in the book. Was on how Hollywood tended to treat Jesus, and as such, I did an analysis of Martin Scorsese's movie, *The Last Temptation of Christ*. You know, and showed you know how you know Martin Scorsese said, "Well, you know, I just thought it was a picture of Jesus struggle to find God and would give us all hope." Well, okay, but uh, it starts out with uh, say Jesus played by Willem Dafoe of all things, the guy who played the Green Goblin in the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> not not an, an, an interesting choice to play Jesus. <laughs> Pretty close. And, and he's making crosses as a carpenter for the Romans to kill his fellow Jews, because he hopes that by doing that, he'll make himself so, so reprehensible to his father, he won't make him be the Messiah. And it goes downhill from there. Yikes. Okay. So, you know, I, I was asked to be on a, a talk show talking about this movie, and people were like, well, it's just art, you know, and it's just you know, I mean, you're being really sensitive about this. And the point that I tried to make was, look, I watched this thing. Uh, You know, I even read the book, Nikos Kazantzakis' uh, Last Temptation of Christ, to make Mm. sure I could give it a fair reading. And I said, but having done that, uh, the thing I want to share with you is this, Uh, you know, you don't understand uh, the the strong christian reaction to this because you don't understand what christianity is all about they kind of look at me like what what do you mean we don't understand well being a christian is a relationship with jesus we we know him spiritually we love him personally yeah. and right. so for someone say to present jesus as this dithering collaborator with the romans who says at one point uh, to Mary Magdalene, I'm going out to the wilderness to be purified. Please forgive me. The worst things I've done have been to you. Um, you know, I look at that and I go, that is a complete rep- misrepresentation of the character of the Jesus who I know and love. Uh, it, would be this, and verse. <laughs> it would be the same yeah. thing as uh, Martin Scorsese making a movie about my mom and portraying her as some kind of mass murderer and a kleptomaniac. Yep. Well it's just art, you know? <laughs> where we're just trying to make an artistic point and you know it's it's just fiction and all this stuff. No. You're you're saying something about somebody who is a very real and genuine person and and when you you misrepresent their character in such an overwhelming way, yeah, there is gonna be an emotional reaction to yeah. that. So, you know, in a sense, uh you know, somebody say, well how in the world could you possibly watch that film and and so on. Well, because I wrote the book to be the kind of book you could give to a non-believer and say, "Hey, here's something that, you know, you don't have to have, you know, 500 Bible verses memorized to be able to hang with." And it basically says that uh, the the thesis of it is that uh, what uh, our culture says a relationship with God is all about. The myths the world taught me. Right. And what the Bible says about that are two different things, and the Bible's message is far better. Yep. But you've got to deal with the worldly stuff before you can show that the message of the Bible is far better. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and boy, when that book came out, did I get letters? Man, mm-hmm. I got letters from little old ladies saying they were praying for the salvation of my soul and how sorry they felt for me because I was writing this horrible stuff and, and, and all of this. And I'm kind of like, well, I was just kind of trying to help here. Yeah. And, and it's the perfect example of what you're talking about. There's some people who are just really super sensitive about these sort of things. And uh, then there's other people that are trying to impact the culture, if you will, by being able to speak intelligently about these things. Now, I'm not suggesting you, you know, go over the wall and say, well, that's why I have to watch pornography because I have to be able to tell people that, you know, I mean, that's as silly as saying, you know, fentanyl is really bad and I took a shot of it just to find out how bad it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's obviously common sense that you, in scriptural guidelines, you attach to it. But, you know, we have to be able to engage, in a sense, the culture. We have to be able to uh, meet people in a sense where they're at and be able to speak to them about these things i think about paul in uh, Acts 17 quoting the poet epimenides you know, he was very uh, f- uh, familiar with what Ep- epimenides wrote and epimenides had some interesting insights he's the guy who talked about the altar of the unknown god but you read epimenides stuff and he was kind of a pagan you know, that was that was his mindset, his worldview, but Paul was familiar with him. Why? Because he had to reach a culture that was really influenced by the ideas of a guy like Epimenides. To the so,
2: Greeks, I became Greek, but note, to the Jews, I became a Jew. I have become all things right. to all men that I might win some. Right. doesn't say, I've conformed to the Jew because they've just made the most convincing case of this is the true way to holiness. No, with different people, you can model different behaviors there's obviously Christ likeness to bring in every single one right but that's the real kicker to this so in regards to the question what makes something satanic uh, just go off the characteristics whose heart does it reflect and again John two chapters earlier chapter 8 and verse 44 Jesus characteristically described it this way you of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and here's the key does not stand in the truth He was a liar from the beginning. Notice this. There is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So when we're looking at media and we're looking at anything that we take into our minds, I think the best game, I guess, to play as far as uh, keeping our brain cells in working order is this little exercise that uh, certain Christian apologists call spot the lie. Is there some sort of message that goes against the gospel, that goes against who God is, that's misrepresenting fundamentally things that you know to be true, not that you feel are true, but that you can verify chapter and verse are actually there? And that's why when it comes to, say, for instance, the Bible studies I do on certain media sites, uh, video game plot lines, uh, movies, TV shows, video game or anime, these kinds of things, there are legitimately pointings to truth there, but there's also not, (laughs) and I have to be able to say, well, let me focus on the truth, and when people ask about these things that I didn't talk about, that I could give a reasonable answer why these things are more favorable, because these point me to Jesus. And I generally uh, tend to go around the 40% range as a cutting off point, especially with all the stuff today. I can hardly do any more studies because it's all a lie now. But is it promoting something that just isn't so? Is it making, you know, casual, listed encounters something that's healthy and fruitful towards someone's not only emotional and social health, but also somehow provides stability to their relationships going forward? That's a lie. That's simply not true how to repeat myself are they promoting things where it just notes that you can be inconsequentially rude to people and that the best way to treat somebody is to just acknowledge them for who they are instead of calling them to you know grow up a little bit and (laughs) respect the fact that you need some people skills those are things to be sensitive to but are there other examples of people who model christ's heart that people wouldn't be familiar with if they read a bible but would know if they say do you remember that character and what they did you know that reminds me of that's worth talking about. And we can go to Second Thessalonians 2, the working of Satan. It's according to all power signs and lying wonders. But that's the point of emphasis is is it satanic? Well, is it deceptive, specifically against who God is? Now note, if it's not proactively seeking to promote the gospel, there's going to be things to give and take. But when someone puts forward scripture, and here's the fun part and says, this is teaching, that you have to conform to my sensitivities, that's more satanic than what they're criticizing, ironically. So make sure that when we look, and again, the doctrines of demons, what was it described as in the pastoral epistles? Forbidding to marry? I thought abstinence was the mark of someone who has achieved real yeah. holiness, yeah. right? And abstaining from foods, things you take into her body, which God created to be received with what? Thanksgiving. Yeah going back to this Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10 controversy. So on and on it goes. There's always going to be unreasonable people. Don't be one. The nature of the satanic is deceptive. We can go on and on with this. But let's get out to some more questions. Let us know if that helps you one, out, John.
1: One last thing before we move on. You know, mm-hmm. Dave, you're kind of knee-deep in the music thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how does this issue play into, say, uh, people's choices as far as uh, what kind of music they listen to? mm mm-hmm. I'm sure you're asked that question. Yeah, yeah,
0: well, and I have two teenagers who, um, well, with my daughter especially, she loves listening to music, and we have an arrangement now where school days are Christian music, and the weekend she can listen to other stuff. And there's some things she listens to that has profanity in it, and I kind of balance the, you know, she's obviously, you know, we're in this world, and there's these things I want, I don't want to completely shelter her, but I want her to be able to process these things and know that, you know, weigh that out for herself. So I'm kind of in that with them as well. But I think I, I liked, you know, this, this this satanic, which obviously we should stay away from, but I like what you said, Pastor Scott, that um, we can judge things by, is this worth my time as well? You know, like if a video game may not be satanic or music, but if I, if I had a friend who I knew was on you know, a video game from 9 p.m. till 4 in the morning, and he wakes up late and his kids are neglected, and it's, you know, I would challenge them on that, not because it's satanic, but because it's just not worth their time. You know, they're giving their time somewhere. And, um, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, music can be so influential like that. And especially as a worship leader, I know the power of music and the the power that God has given it. He's, it's a language he's given us, I believe, to express our hearts to him and to have even an emotional response to God and with God. Um, and so I know I'm careful. I know I grew up with a lot of, you know, people. Uh, ballads and love songs, I like that. My early songs I wrote were ballads, and I got yeah. programmed into this very romantic kind of mindset, which just wasn't true. So, um, I know I watch that with my kids as well, it's my daughter especially, that she's not being pro, she likes like Luis Capaldi and all these songs are, you know, just I need you, and I've lost you, and I'm broken, and it's you, you, and me, and all that <laughs> stuff, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and I grew up like that, yeah. you know, and so just the power that music can have to, to really program a mind into I like, will set the well.
2: atmosphere of the soul yeah. yeah
0: set the atmosphere of the soul I like that yeah um so it's, it's definitely something to watch same with movies I mean all med- media you know not necessarily satanic but just a, a, a powerful influence that we may not need
1: yeah I, I've always believed that all communication is persuasive mm. there's no such thing as as neutral communication yeah. especially when it comes to art uh in art in any sense I believe has a point to it yeah uh, and it's, it's the, the big question is, okay, how am I being persuaded by this? And persuasion means you're moving yourself from one position to another, at least mentally to begin with. Then what follows is usually emotionally and then volitionally. Yeah. And it's happening all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: So the, the big question is, you know, okay, um, you know, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. You know, maybe yeah. I need to be a little bit more discerning about the stuff that I let in my life through the eye gate and the ear gate and all this
0: stuff because yeah. sooner or later
1: it's going to work out in my life.
0: Right. And that's a verse you're quoting, right? Was it the yeah. Apostle Paul that said that? Yeah. All things are lawful, but not all things are yeah. beneficial. Yeah. yeah. And that's a great thing to run yeah. through our, our minds. Yeah. You know, yeah, I can do this, but is it beneficial to me? Yeah. 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 Well, we have a couple more questions. You guys ready to yeah. move on? Yeah. It's a great discussion. <laughs> okay. We dedicate a whole week to that. Uh, question from Taylan. Welcome, Taylan. Thanks for your question today. Um, did anyone else in the Bible ever identify as their sin? I think the big contention between Christians and the homosexual community is the fact that homosexuality is defined both as a state and an act. So is there, is there Bible, biblical examples of being like, you are your sin?
2: No, uh, the idea of a community identified on the basis of hedonism, which I go out of my way to define, I don't get into the whole alphabet thing or the, you know, I'm, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm trans, I just say, well, you're a hedonist, you determine morality based on what feels good. And when it comes to the way that's impacted culture, Peter Martin and myself have gone over the past couple months, uh, talking about these philosophers and how going back at least 300 years, these individuals have kind of shaped the mindset that we're trying to get ourselves out of right now. Uh, obviously most people aren't buying it in some ways, literally, if you look at target stock sales, yeah. but when it comes to the mindset of, well, I'm this or I'm that. And then when you say that's a sin, you're saying I'm dirty, I'm evil. That's, Four assumptions interwoven like some sort of, you know, knitted lasagna that you're going to have to peel off one at a time because there's a lot of faulty assumptions there. I don't have the time to go into it right now, but if you feel free to listen to any of Peter Martin's messages going through this on the program, uh, especially Monet, uh, you can feel free to listen to those. But those are the assumptions underneath it. It's the idea of your identity being centered in your impulses. It's not your sin, it's your worldview and ethics, which is hedonism. Mm-hmm. Christians aren't hedonists, we're <laughs> Christians, right? <laughs> we want to be like Christ, we use him as our moral authority. If it feels good to us, we default to Romans 7, these, or what you cited not all things are all things are lawful not all things are helpful right but if on the other hand i'd say well my goal in life is to feel good well how people feel good can vary and they form communities based around it that are in fundamental conflict with each other mm-hmm. so take that what you will just be aware of the assumptions that are being made and try to go after those don't get caught up in the propaganda that's already boxed you into a system where there is no god and there is no good because mm-hmm. The only way to determine there is no good is to assume everything's evil and be content with that. Yeah. And we don't play that game. Yeah.
0: yeah, there is. I'm thinking of there's a list. Is it Romans 8 or 12? Um, where It's the people that won't inherit the kingdom of God. And it's a list of first Corinthians first six. 6. Yeah, yeah. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> different book, um, different verse. But that's how try. does that relate to this? Because that kind of list, you know. And such Adulterous were some of you people, yeah. But you were washed,
2: you were cleansed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right.
0: So we're not our sin. We're at the, we have the ability to be washed of those. We things. are a new identity because we're in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, do we have time for one last question from sure. Diane? Yeah. Uh, how can I witness to my daughter-in-law? Uh, he told me not to talk about Jesus in front of her, and this uh, really did disturb me. And now my son says he doesn't believe. This just broke my heart. What is the best way to pray for them?
1: Start so
2: wanna pray for her before we sign yeah. off? Yeah.
1: Yeah, let's let's absolutely do that. But you know, maybe the, the best thing to do is, you know, uh, witnessing is just that. Jesus said, You shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. He didn't say you will do witnessing. He said you will be witnesses being witnesses, demonstrating a transformed life, demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ is what being a witness is all about. And if you go into that situation, you are prayed up, you care about the people who are involved, uh, and uh, and you just say, Lord, just let me be an example of your love in ways large and small. And Lord, if a teachable moment comes up Mm. where the conversation naturally leads that, or that person asks you, uh, a reason for the hope that is within you, uh, that you're ready uh, at that moment. You're prayed up, you know, you anticipate all that. Not that you're going to download some sermon on them, but, uh, you know, just to remember that, you know, the, the best witness is focusing in on the person of Jesus yeah. and uh, the, the difference he's made in your life, telling your story, if you will. Uh, so, you know, be involved. Don't feel like you've been ushered out of the relationship, uh, but uh, but be proactive and prayed up about uh, bringing the love of jesus and demonstrating that in that situation and sooner or later the lord is going to draw them you know jesus said no one can come to me unless the father draws them first pray for that drawing work yeah you know father we do want to pray for this situation we do want to pray that uh, this family would be reconciled by coming to a right relationship with you so many out
0: there that i know can can use that lord please bless them as well in jesus name amen 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 thank you diane we'll be praying for you for sure and We'll see you on Monday. It's a weekend now. Thank you for being part of Reason for Hope. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through
2: God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.